Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sean Atkinson here with Chris LG from Counterhack. Chris, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Sean. Thanks. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. And we have a very interesting topic. We are talking not only hacking, uh, again, We've got one of the best with us today. But we're also talking about how the media represents that. And we're going to talk it through, uh, through some movies. I'll probably do that again, Chad. And we're going to talk through some movies that show hacking as, as an element, either there is the plot or part of uh, the actual action, as it were, for those movies. Chris, I wonder if you could do us a, a favor and just give um, you know, a quick few minutes on your experience, you know, what you're doing right now, your your past experience and uh, all those certifications. Sure, yeah. So I, I came up through, uh, actually through a largely military background, um, sort of fell into that by accident, but spent a, a good good long time, full time in the, in the Army National Guard and kept kept every once in a while encountering information security and, and things like hacking and just kept getting drawn more and more to it to the point where I left uh, full-time service and became a pen tester. Uh, so I've been doing that for almost five years now. Uh, also teach pen testing with SANS and, and get to build a lot of fun games like uh, like NetWars and the, the SANS Holiday Hack Challenge, which I've heard you plug. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> We're happy to give that away every every December. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, the Holiday Hack Challenge, absolutely phenomenal. Thousands upon thousands of people being able to enjoy that and learn our skills. I know a few people do it with their families. You know, it's a great entryway into learning about technology security and what you can do and the, some of the fun stuff and in a way that's gamified i mean it, it's absolutely fantastic and for free uh, every year you know i'm a participant um uh, i'm not as uh, seasoned uh, as our guest today in terms of being able to uh, do the hacking capability but you know getting a I, I think one of the things i saw last year and again we're going a little off topic but it, it's so important is the fact that we can look at a Nest device, right? And we can grab, uh, you know, an alpha Wi-Fi card and, and basically start uh, playing around with that in a way that wasn't intended, but really is the essence of what I think, Chris, hacking is. It, uh, you know, that's kind of how it's grown up is there's a piece of technology. How can I use it? How can I play around with it in a way that it wasn't intended? And there's, you know, these consequences of that. And in some cases, those consequences are bad. In some cases, it's... You know, it's awesome. I go back to the, uh, you know, the phone freaking uh, that, you know, happened, you know, at 2600, right? That the whole reason for that, uh, the name of that particular uh, awesome hacking magazine is the name of it was for the, I think, the decibel for a particular um, whistle for free calls or something along those lines. Chris, let me let me turn it over to the professional firm for some history uh, in this space. Yeah, absolutely. So just like you said, it is it is about messing with things about about playing with technology in a way that the developers didn't intend and like you said yeah there was that there was that captain crunch whistle that came in a cereal box that if you held it the right way it would produce a tone that would basically tell the phone system that you're, you're good to go on a, on a free call so uh but yeah like you said I, th I think a lot of it was phones early on um there were even some model train people in the early crowds but uh, as as technology has moved on hacking now generally refers to things on computer things on on the internet uh, and I, I think it's an interesting double term. A lot of times the media uses hacking to necessarily mean bad, but like you said, often it's it's very good things. It's, it's people figuring out how to use things they own in, in creative ways and building their own IoT stuff in their house. So hacking, as as I'd like to use it during this conversation, will will mean that that broader thing of uh, of, of 
playing around with technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, um, again, just because of the pervasiveness of the compute environment, you know, cloud computing, I can, you know, be basically deploy a, a lab in a few minutes rather than having to wait, you know, let's go back 10 years and having to kind of save up or get the old computers, the donations, right? I'll do some dumpster diving and grab that technology to build the lab. Now it's you know, open source. I mean, the open source security community, absolutely fantastic. Um, and, and the uh, availability of the information, I think, has made it uh, to where it's accessible. You know, you you grab a Raspberry Pi and, and you're good to go. You know, there's a lot of different things you could do in that space. And it, it kind of takes us into the, um, you know, the representation of hacking. And I think you're right with respect to the media, though, there's um, there's a good connotation in some cases, but in a lot of cases, you know, uh, this has been hacked by a hacker. It obviously has the connotation of that it's, uh, you know, an attack that's deprived somebody of a product, service, money, a resource, or something along those lines. And then when that gets translated um, from the real world into what I'll call Hollywood, it takes on a whole different perspective. Um, and so that's, you know, I think, Chris, that's maybe where we'll go with the conversation today, if, if that makes sense to you. Because one of the things I'm very interested in is, in my experience, uh, playing in this game and, and you being a, a professional uh, in uh, hacking is, you know, what, what are the different perspectives you have with what you've seen in the media? Because in some cases, um, a lot of people have been motivated or have thought, oh, that's cool. I want to learn more about that. I'll just give you my little story, if that's all right, Chris, is uh, the movie Hackers. You know, we're going back to Angelina Jolie and, and you know, we had um, uh, Dade, who was, you know, the really cool hacker, Zero Cool. Um, and, you know, his um, kind of transition and the, the thought and the, that kind of cyberpunk um, you know, in New York City where he had to move and he wasn't necessarily happy. Uh, and he meets up, you know, with uh, a bunch of individuals. Uh, they discover or, and in some cases, blamed for a hack on a major corporation. And it was uh, very, very interesting. And that was one of the things that when I first saw it was like, that is so cool. I had no idea you could do that type of... Um, uh, I guess you had that type of skill set, if you know what I mean, and that you could, you know, the the customized uh, startup screens and everything that they were doing, it just, it looked cool. But reflectively, you know, it's, um, I'm not sure that, you know, you go around and connect to cell towers, you know, on the top of, uh, you know, the Empire State Building and start hacking. Maybe you do. Uh, honestly, I wouldn't put it past you uh, because that that's, uh, that's your capability, but... Uh, what are your thoughts there, Chris? What, where was your first introduction to hacking in in uh, in uh, the Hollywood uh, side of things? The first one that really sticks out for me is is Sneakers. I I love the film. It's it's a little less hacker culture than Hackers is. I think Hackers did a great job introducing that the whole sub genre of uh, of hacking in society and and rollerblades. Of course, we all wear rollerblades all around town. Uh, but uh, <laughs> sneakers to me was was really my introduction to the, the mindset of of penetration testing. Really, where the opening scene, it's you know uh, Dan Aykroyd and there was uh, Robert Redford. Oh, it was and in Robert there. Redford. Thank you. Yeah, uh, who else uh, was and, in there? Yeah, there was just, a, just some 
uh, some wonderful characters. I mean, we had um, James Earl Jones at the end, right? We had we had yep. just a beautiful cast, uh, just very subtle tones of of a romantic plot on the on the backside, but just but seeing the people think through, you know, this this initial bank heist, and then this this quest for that black box, and and how can we combine social engineering with the technology, and and make it all work to to achieve this this to achieve this specific goal. And it was just wonderful for me to, to see that all come together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Another great movie. Um, uh, again, you, you see it from different perspectives in that space and kind of the skill set each brought. You know, there was, um, uh, you know, at the beginning of the movie, I think, uh, you know, Robert Redford's character and the team were doing uh, physical security assessments of a, a bank. And they had uh, River Phoenix, you know, was hacking in through the phone lines. And, you know, here's the money, at, uh, you know, they deposited into an account. You know, Robert Redford in nice suit walks in. I'd like to take this money out. And he puts it, you know, kind of on the bank manager's desk. And this is what we're able to do in a night or, you know, however long the engagement took. And, you know, reflecting on that is like, wow, that's uh, it's a pretty broad statement. And in a lot of cases, Chris, does, um, I've seen that not necessarily in that same celluloid type of uh you know script but that type of activity occurs right you know i've been able to put this you know i've been able to retrieve this email from the ceo's mailbox as proof that i was able to get there i've put you know uh, a token uh in that particular file system to show you that i had access I is that right yeah you're exactly right and and I think it's funny how in Hollywood it's it's the big flashy thing. They come out with a with a suitcase full of hundred dollar bills. In in actual penetration testing, as I've experienced it, it's it's usually more more piecemeal and a little less uh, photogenic, I guess. Yes. So <laughs> so right, maybe we plant a flag somewhere or we find somebody's document or get access to a database. Um, we had one we had one penetration test that was on an, an oil rig. And, and if this were Hollywood, we would have sunk it at the end. But this being the, the real world, and those being very expensive, it turns out, you know, we, we just collect little pieces of that trail and, and paint the picture in the report of this is how a determined adversary could uh, could do damage, right? Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah, no, it, it's, um, it does take me back. So Sneakers was um, probably... Like in my list, you know, you kind of think of the timeline of the movies that have influenced. Um, and the other one in the early uh, stages um, uh, was also War Games. Uh, you know, I think Matthew Broderick um, just being able to change the, his grades, right? That, that was the first introduction. He's got the old telephone on top as the modem. And it was just like, wow, that's pretty impressive. And then to see kind of the digitization of critical infrastructure and not only critical infrastructure, but war gaming in terms of, you know, scenario development on a system. I mean, that that's uh, they pre hit pretty close to home for what I assume happens today with respect to, uh, again, not as photogenic, but um, the capabilities that we've digitized is um, is very interesting, especially with that element of the uh, application of artificial intelligence or machine learning to respective problems. Uh, it has, uh, I think, come to fruition uh, again with our current technologies and uh, you know what you saw with uh, you know. Do you want to play uh, thermonuclear war uh, as as the game rather than tic tac toe, uh, and that the machine had to learn 
that there was no winner in any respective game if they set the game to zero participants and you, basically the computer was playing itself. Um, I've, Joshua, yeah, Joshua, I think was the name of the, uh, at least the, the name of his son who we, you know, named the computer after. Um, but very interesting, again, from a plot perspective uh, and some of the, uh, you know, applications of technology, uh, quite interesting in war games. Yeah, and it was so well put together that it actually frightened President Reagan to the point where he made it a priority to go ahead and, and check out what the nation's vulnerability was to that type of attack and, and commit resources to making us more resilient to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've seen, I think, over time, taking those types of things seriously. Uh, and it's funny how the media affects, you know, because... I'm sure, and again, I'm making some very big assumptions here, but I'm sure that things were put on certain representatives' desk throughout, you know, the Oval Office and throughout that infrastructure to say there is a potential for this to occur, right? Because it was, it's not like it was not known that uh, attacks, electronic attacks of this nature could occur. Um, but it takes a movie for, you know, to set the mindset of, oh, we need to take this seriously, right? I didn't understand the consequences of, you know, a report that's put on versus, uh, you know, the, the, the magic of Hollywood uh, in order to represent those threats and, and really an underlying risk assessment to, uh, uh, to those in power. So it's quite interesting. I think so. And, and you may not know this, but there, there's actually uh, kind of a flip around of that, of that relationship. If you go to a place like the National Training Center in Fort Irwin, California, this is in, in Death Valley, a lot of uh, military units will go there and, and train you know, for, for combat. And at that site, they have, no kidding, Hollywood cameras and directors and role players who will help construct this scene so that as, as soldiers and units go through, they get a very realistic, um, not just a realistic scenario that they, that they kind of fight through or that they, they work, them, work their way through, but also they get this, this movie quality video at the end of it so they can go back and look at what they do. So I think that's, that's a neat, <laughs> a neat uh, example of Hollywood driving a point home for, for the end user and not just for uh, you know, decision makers or, or folks at home. Absolutely. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I did not know that. That's fantastic. That's interesting, right? That it is a powerful device um, that can be used to reinforce either the message, the underlying learnings, or a, a way of thinking or representing uh, an underlying risk, which, uh, which is great. So, Chris, over time, we've seen... Um, what I would call, and, you know, correct me where I'm wrong, correct me where you don't agree, but it seems like there's kind of a, a mainstream of utilizing hacking as either one uh, convenience of, of, as part of a plot to maybe say, oh, it's kind of a modernized approach to crime or whatever it happens to be versus where... Uh, the actual hacking itself becomes the plot itself. That, that That's uh, a core element, a core tool, which is used in those devices. Um, one of the things, you know, we'd um, uh, mentioned, we've been communicating about this, obviously, was the, uh, the movie Swordfish. Um, interesting movie, uh, you know, a, a convenient uh, device. You know, you've got a, a particular person convict can't touch a uh, you know a device uh, we, you know we've seen that from others who have been convicted in the real world uh you know have been prevented from accessing uh, particular devices uh, over a period of time um but again you know the representative coding genius you know can 
you know, see into the computer and be able to abstract and uh, and understand and you know break encryption with uh, uh, ease in some cases. You know, maybe way too easy. Um, again, I don't think you know you'd need a, a three week movie in order for all of the attack methodology to to be explained and and actually delineated. Um, but it was uh, it seemed more of a, a device in the in the plot itself versus uh, one of the other ones uh, you know we'd mentioned was uh, well uh, named Black Hat, uh, which at the core center of the process were you know um, code reuse in a lot of cases. Uh, again, someone had stolen a particular virus, was using it, modifying it in order to do nefarious things to cause catastrophe across a number of locations throughout the world. Um, comparing those two movies, um, you know, obviously we've got, you know, Hollywood um, type interpretation. Um, but was, uh, from your perspective, um, where does it get into the realism versus, you know, Hollywood sensationalizing the, the hacker capability? So with those two films, I think there are certain capabilities that are real, right? They, they talk about looking at code and determining through code reuse that this is probably this threat actor and these two things are connected and doing that cyber threat intelligence piece of it. And there are aspects where we're cracking through this thing and and uh, and moving from A to B. And those, those as concepts are certainly valid and are, are certainly things that people do in the real world. But, uh, but of course, for Hollywood, they've got to make it interesting. Uh, actual hacking does not photograph well. It does not look... <laughs> sexy or cool uh, it's usually just a, a terminal <laughs> with uh with a bunch of bunch of black and white text uh so so that's where you know with hackers you get the cool flame screens and the different you know the zero cool and and same thing with swordfish and black hat where they make it look uh really flashy and, and exciting and and if you're a nerd like me it is flashy and exciting but again it doesn't photograph well so uh, I think Hollywood does what it can to to make it both interesting to the layman and also uh, and also stay somewhere close to reality. Um, I feel like as as time goes on and as more and more people are computer literate and internet literate, they they have to come even closer to reality to the to the point where we have shows like Mr. Robot that are that have uh, on set technical directors and advisors that make sure things look very accurate because. Uh, as, Maybe especially for nerds like me, it can really be distracting <laughs> when someone's doing something that's completely unrealistic and doesn't doesn't fit at all. Uh, but you know, I, I know I'm, I'm not alone, right? Lots lots more people watching these shows are are technically uh, we're digital natives, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's the uh, the one thing. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm I'm glad you brought up Mr. Robot because that um, again I think had set another tone of realism. You know, it's not just the the fake. And when I call fake, you know, I'm again just being respectful to the movies. You got to do what you've got to do. But the the smashing of keys, you know, furiously at you know three hundred words per minute, and suddenly you have access to a system is um, great for Hollywood. Very, you know, it, it's great. You know, we're, we're going to take the you know the three weeks that that would have actually took. We're going to make it. You know, just this little montage of just smashing keys together. Um, and some cool visual effects, you know, the, the cool graphics on screen, like you say, it's more of a command line interface that uh, I think the true professionals and really what you saw in Mr. Robot was that perspective, especially, I think, um, you know, more seasons one and two. I think season one did an excellent job of actually showing, uh, you know, hands-on techniques. I think they even um, 
I believe it was season one, where there was even a uh, capture the flag type competition taking place. Um, and just some of the, you know, what was going on there. And that there is, you know, a community of people. I don't know necessarily that it's as furious as everybody, you know, again, making it uh, dramatic and action-packed. Um, but those CTFs exist, right? You know, the, the Pwn to Own, I think, is a, a phenomenal uh, and a lot of talented people, a lot of very smart people uh, are able to take place uh, in those types of uh, competitions. Uh, and in respect, you know, there's a lot of the online CTFs, again, the, the Holiday Hack Challenge being one of them, um, that attract a lot of people. And it's a great way to skill up in a lot of cases. Um, so that's that's really cool. I think with Mr. Robot as well, one of the things I had seen was um, the approach. I think it was more of a, um, a mindset. There was the uh, OSINT element of when Elliot was doing, you know, kind of his... Uh, track and trace and his doing profiles of respective people and where was he going right it was facebook it was uh i'm not sure if it was even old enough to be myspace but i think it was just facebook and you know maybe twitter and other social media sites and being able to pull the information and be able to you know extrapolate that through different frameworks uh which um i think showed and i i honestly i the as you mentioned that there was technical representatives to make sure that it had that realism really contributed to it to be um, not only a success, I think, from, uh, you know, respectfully the nerds, as it were, uh, in this space, but it really was able to, I think, um, translate well to a general audience to, to see it as a, wow, this is, uh, you know, this is really cool. Um, this I've not seen it in that light before. And I think it has been an you know, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the most realistic um, perspective on uh, hacking that I've seen uh, that's been represented, uh, you know, on either on the big screen or, uh, you know, on a terrestrial TV, that type of thing. Yeah, I can't think of anything more realistic. And to your point, I, I think it does do a lot for the general audience. When, when folks see something like that and see what's accomplished through open source intelligence and through these different tools and the, they actually use some real hacking gadgets, right? When they see that and, and when they know that it's, that it's technically accurate, I think it does a lot to drive user awareness, right? We, we have our own internal user awareness campaigns through emails and, and classes and, and whatnot, but, but putting it on the screen, making it uh, accessible that way, and again, accurate, I, I, I hope, makes the average user more conscious of the type of information that they're giving away and the types of vulnerabilities that they have in their everyday lives. Exactly right. Exactly right. If it's not for awareness, um, you know, it's great as entertainment, but it is certainly certainly a, a wake-up call to the, you know, the, gener the sharing generation, I call it, is... Um, there's a lot we share online for really no other apparent reason to let people know where we are and what type of coffee we drink and giving away a lot of um, hmm, the, of the details of an individual, right? The personality the, uh, and those types of things. It's amazing what can be found. I think that was, you know, in some cases through the psychometrics that, you know, we'd seen through Cambridge Analytica and their access to Facebook information um, and, and the predictive models and kind of going back again to that machine learning type of the introduction of these types of skills from a statistical and from um, an AI perspective, it has repercussions, right? No matter what you share, where you, you know, you're um, identifying uh, with respect to a particular technology or how you're using a technology, 
you know, that, that has an effect uh, and it has a, uh, a consequence in some cases. And uh, respectfully with Mr. Robot, there was another um, element. And I think I thought one of the great episodes was the um, really the hack of the industrial control systems of the prison. Um, I thought that was uh, just phenomenal in terms of the setup. There was a USB drop, right? He had, uh, you know, he was working with Bluetooth through the computer of a squad car and accessing the system through that particular device. Then able to then institute a, uh, you know, an all-out, you know, shutting down the power systems, opening all of the uh, uh, the cell doors, and then a mass escape from uh, the particular facility. Um, I mean, that's... It's incredible to think of the detail that they went through, obviously building a plot, building um, the capabilities around that plot, and then really uh, effectively, I thought it was an excellent episode and really just showed the power. And in a lot of cases, Chris, you know, respectfully, that that's um, not too far from the truth with respect to industrial control systems, especially things that we've seen in the Ukraine and, and other places where industrial control systems may not be as secure as they should be, and you've seen takeover. You've seen, you know, it's not Elliot doing it in one day. You know, he had, the, I think, a twelve-hour window in order to uh, uh, get the uh, particular character out of the prison. Um, but over time, uh, I believe there's, you know, been a lot of learning of people having access to, um, you know, power grids, learning how they work, and then learning where the weaknesses are and what damage they can do. Um, did you see that? Uh, you know, have you seen that or heard of that or even yourself uh, perform that type of activity? Yeah, I, that, that kind of work is less common than the, you know, try to break in my, into my network. Uh, and it's it's funny that the that the IT and OT industries have, have evolved at different rates. So IT, typical uh, information technology infrastructure, computers, networks, uh, even cloud stuff, that's all kind of, that's been been ahead, right? We've been doing pen testing there for a long time, but the operational technology, the ICS, SCADA, HMIs, these are these are farther behind. And and part of that is the technologies where, if, if you have some IoT device in your house, it probably is running on some old, old version of Linux with a vulnerable network stack. And if you if you dig hard enough, you will you will find issues in those things. Uh, those same type of issues also plague in things that run in factories and in airports and on um, in oil rigs, right? So, so there's the there's the fact that the technology lags behind, and oh by the way, has to live for decades. Oftentimes, these go these devices go for decades without being replaced. Um, I just think of my car. You know, my, my car radio is is eight years old, and it's not getting updated. <laughs> so it's got it's got old vulnerabilities in it, I'm sure. Uh, and then along with that, we also have the the mindset of operational technology, where where folks in that space think a lot about availability and they think a lot about uh, worker safety and things like that, but they don't give much thought to the online attack. And as they become more connected and more accessible, so those employees can can do things from home or on location or remotely, uh, then of course that opens things up to uh, to attackers. So so yeah, interesting that you, you bring up OT. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's a space I've found interest in. Um... And just, uh, you know, in, I worked at a, an organization that was um, high-tech manufacturing. And to your point, there were systems there uh, that basically said, don't touch them. Um, you know, that these are supposed to run. All What I'm looking for, my most important element, is availability. Uh, 
just make sure that it works. Uh, and, you know, uh, we were looking to say, well, can we do an assessment of the underlying technology stack? Well, no, because if you break it, that's the only one that there is in this country. Um, so no, you're not going to touch it at all. Uh, okay, yeah, that, I can respect that. It's not like these things are sitting on shelves waiting to be deployed. Um, breaking one requires, uh, you know, stopping production, replacement, purchase, tra you know, uh, just a plethora of things that um, plague an industry that, you know, really has... Um, as you say, not matured necessarily at the same rate, maybe, you know, in a lot of cases couldn't, um, you know, those, uh, we internet, we connected these elements to uh, an underlying network um, and obviously using different protocols um, in some cases um, that maybe was not ready uh, for it, but convenience, access, being able to distribute and manage these systems without having to be in person, you know, we could do that remotely, human machine interfaces and things of that nature have evolved so the technologies evolve, but the underlying process in which they work, um, you know, basically has been the same since the Industrial Revolution. You know, it's just this is how it works. It's just part of a, you know, a supply chain, as it were, or an ecosystem within a, a, a manufacturing facility, whatever it happens to be. Um, and this is just how it works. There's a, uh, you know, there's a, a predecessor successor requirement here. And if you take that one out. It kind of stops everything. So it's a very interesting paradigm, though, I think, Chris. Uh, again, we got a little off topic, but uh, it's still interesting. It's funny how when talking about a specific topic in cybersecurity can take you down multiple paths because it is so pervasive in really all fields now. All walks of life are impacted uh, by a technology or by the culmination of that technology and it's interconnectedness, and it just, it, it's so pervasive now that, uh, um, you know, having professionals like yourself and organizations like CounterHack and SENS being able to provide not only the service, but also the training to others to, because we're, again, we go through skill shortages, you know, we've, we've been hearing about that for a number of years, um, but being able to skill up uh, and, uh, you know, have the, the representatively, uh, you know, some of the best training to where you can be, uh, you know, you can call yourself a hacker. I think there's, uh, I think it was John Hammond, maybe, or another um, YouTuber who I'm a fan of um, had said, you know, when can you call yourself a hacker? And it's just funny as to, uh, you know, when is that stage? Um, uh, so it's it's pretty interesting. But again, for our, our friends in Hollywood, it's um, it's a script that that's when you can call yourself a hacker. We're going to introduce you to it and... Uh, uh, and these are the techniques that you can use um, or representatively uh, have on screen uh, that make you a hacker, as it were. So it's it's pretty interesting. So, Chris, over time, we've, you know, we've seen uh, war games. We've evolved to hackers. We've gone into sneakers. You know, we've seen the swordfish, black hat. Um, so we've got, you know, a number of uh, movies here. One of the, you know, there's a couple other elements, uh, and it, it takes me back to Sneakers, but there's also another movie I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, and it was, um, I'm not necessarily a biopic, but it was uh, representing uh, Frank Abignale, um, you know, Catch Me If You Can. The social engineering skills um, that were on, basically demonstrated throughout his, you know, tenure as a, a pilot, as a lawyer, as a doctor, and just being able to convince people and, and manage his, um, 
you know, his uh, fraud schemes, as it were, with re- respect to checks and being chased by the FBI. I, I think where it was, uh, that was quite an interesting movie, I-, I believe, by Steven Spielberg. Yeah, that is a fun one. Social engineering is, it's a really old craft, right? It's been around for as long as, as people have, have lied, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, and uh, and it's moved through different phases. And, and I-, I think of, you know, the Nigerian prince mail scam, which became the Nigerian prince email scam. And usually, well, often those are easy to detect based on the you know, grammar issues and, and odd spelling and just and just kind of the absurd nature of, of some of the pretexts there. But there are people that are very good at that. And like, like the character in Catch Me If You Can, like a lot of uh, modern malicious hackers, some folks yeah, are, are fantastic at it and can uh, can trick us. Um, I know people who are uh, who are in the information security, who are system administrators, who will click on a phishing link from time to time because there are there are believable stories, there are plausible scenarios, and really no one is immune. So we we do need to be aware of the social engineering for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. I think Chris, one of the things you know I'm thinking of here as you as you said that was. Um, as the audience becomes more technically proficient, I wonder if the technologies uh, exemplified in movies have to follow that same uh, same course as well. Because, like you say, you know, we had the Nigerian prince, you know, uh, email, or actually mail, as you mentioned, and its evolution into email. But over time, I think we've seen improvement in the tactics and the techniques that have been used in order to represent something fraudulently through email and it seems like there's you know there's always those that are putting the effort in you can see in terms of the output that they get right the number of clicks that are successful uh in terms of their um generating these types of emails and it's uh it gets into um the generalized what i'll call phishing uh, and then um the other element of spear phishing right the directed attack at an individual, which we've seen in a number of the, uh, you know, aforementioned shows and movies, um, where it becomes, uh, you know, I there's a lot of information in order to craft these things. I remember, now this is going to, let me see if I can remember the movie, Chris. Ah, Ocean's 8. There was, um, and then this is the Sandra Bullock version of, um, uh, of the George Clooney and Brad Pitt uh, uh, movie, our uh, movies. Um, and they had, uh, I believe there was uh, a gentleman who was either part of security or the layout of cameras within a respective museum, uh, you know, the target of their particular attack. And uh, he had a fashion- fascination, I think, with um, a particular breed of dog, I think. And they found that on social media, crafted you know, a website for him to go click, sent him the email. Oh, we thought you'd be interested in this. He clicks, you know, um, and then becomes compromised. Uh, But, you know, in some cases, spear phishing executed quite nicely, demonstrated in a movie. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, Any other uh, things that you've seen in movies um, that you've thought, oh, that's pretty true to life, that, you know, those skills are transferable again, Maybe very um, glamorous uh, for the movie screen, but uh, the underlying skill or the underlying um, thought processes still make sense. Yeah, actually, I'll go back to sneakers if I can. Yeah, 
there's a scene where they're trying to get into somebody's office to seal this little black box that I that I think solves P versus NP. But uh, to get through the lobby, uh, the controlled lobby, they had two characters, and and one is River Phoenix, and he's got you know like a brown uniform and some packages on a dolly, and he's trying to get through, and and he's interacting with the guard, taking all the guards' attention. Meanwhile, Robert Redford comes up with I think balloons and a cake to get through. And, and while the guard is distracted with the package delivery, he, he kind of yells and, Hey, let me through. And, and it's, it's that sense of urgency that we get warned about in the social engineering classes. There's a sense of urgency. Hey, I've got this cake of balloons. I need to get by. And Oh, by the way, your attention is divided with this other character. Um, I really appreciate how, how that played out in the movie. And I've heard of, of plenty of people doing that kind of thing in, uh, in engagements in, in paid engagements. And I'm sure it happens all the time with the actual malicious actors as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I remember, I think I saw something, I think it was from the Social Engineering Village at DEF CON, and one of the winners there, I believe a a, a lady had employed, I think, a baby crying in the background, you know, she'd found it on YouTube, played that and was, I nearly need to get in, you know, was pleading and, and that sense of, you know, trying to help. Uh, and trying to, you know, uh, placate any of her issues because she's got enough issues going on with a, a crying child in the background is uh, so effective. Uh, again, uh, I think she actually won that particular year. So uh, she, she obviously has uh, phenomenal skill in the space and able to trigger. And again, it, it's that momentary, I, I think, it, not necessarily a lapse, but it's that momentary element of, oh, I just want to help. Oh, I just want to... Uh, be able to placate any of the issues that you're having and, you know, be able to contribute to uh, you being uh, successful, not successful in the social engineering perspective, but so, uh, successful in being able to log on or do the password reset or, you know, whatever it happens to be. So that was, uh, uh, that takes me to uh, to those elements as well. So Chris, one of the things... Um, as we were discussing this, there was a hidden gem that I had had. I had seen this. I'll just give a little bit of background on not only how I became aware of it, but also the movie itself. And we'll have a uh, our final discussion on this. But there was, um, it's a movie called Hot Millions. Uh, it's set in the United Kingdom in the, uh, I think, early to late uh, 1960s. Uh, it's portrayed a, um, a person who was in jail for embezzlement uh, by, uh, I believe, Peter Ustinov. Uh, and also, um, for the Harry Potter fans, uh, McGonagall, or uh, Maggie Smith, um, is actually uh, a very young Maggie Smith, um, is in the movie, um, who plays uh, ultimately a love interest uh, at the end, uh, who actually helps succeed for, for all of the, this uh, um, scamming. But it, it starts um, with a gentleman um, in jail, and he's actually... He's got such good social engineering skills. He's doing uh, really a tax return for the prison warden. Uh, and basically, uh, you know, ultimately find out in the middle of that movie that uh, uh, the prison warden is actually done for tax evasion or something along those lines, <laughs> uh, which is quite funny. Um, but it has this gentleman who's, uh, you know, he's set with this predicament and he was caught... Uh, doing his, uh, you know, fraudulent activity by computer. And this was obviously the introduction of computer into businesses. Um, and so he then decides, a, a very smart man, uh, to invest time in learning about those computers and has a number of social engineering engagements to where he takes on the persona 
of a security expert, a lot, an expert that a lot of companies, large companies, are looking to hire to help them integrate uh, the digitization of their financial processing. Again, competitive advantage. Uh, so he takes on this persona. Um, he actually ends up sending the gentleman um, to catch moths, I think, in South America. They, they make a deal in this private gentleman's club. And it, it's um, and this is not that type of gentleman's club. This is the traditional uh, English uh, upper-class uh, gentleman's club where they go sit a drink and play bridge together. Um, so he manages to get in there. He infiltrates that particular uh, d defensive layer. Once he's inside... He's trusted, so people are listening to him, and uh, he learns of a company, uh, Aramco, I believe, uh, an American conglomerate that has a um, uh, facility in England, and he wants to basically start embezzling money. So he sets up a number of fake businesses, starts sending checks. He's traveling uh, all over Europe, uh, collecting these checks, becomes very tired after doing it. Um, but the most important point, Chris, and I'll just, uh, I'm going to set you up here, is the defensive mechanism of the blinky light. Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on that movie and, uh, and the fact that it was so early on. I mean, this was literally in the early, to, I think mid-60s, uh, that this particular movie came out. And I just thought it was, it was a treasure that I had found and I've not really been able to publicize it much that this is uh, uh, a good watch for anybody in, in, in our field. Yeah, Sean, and thanks for that recommendation. I watched it and it was delightful. <laughs> I, I was, I, I'm surprised that I didn't hear of it earlier, but yeah, Hot Millions. Uh, and, and The Blinky Light, I'm so glad you went there because of, of all the things in the film, that just that jumps right out at you because that's, that's how so many people try to approach information security. Oh, we're getting too much spam email or we're getting too many attacks. We can buy this device. And, it's, and people refer to it as the Blinky Box, right? We're gonna buy this Blinky Box and that's gonna solve our issues and, and no kidding, it was the blinking blue light, and and sure enough, you know if you hit the front of the box with a mop bucket, <laughs> then the, the little blinky light pops up, and you can you can then embezzle. But uh, it's amazing to me that we we always, I guess we technologists, we we tend to look for that technological silver bullet to solve a problem that is very complex, and it it so rarely works that that way. We we talk about people, processes, and procedures, not not just one blinky thing, right? We need to have all these other things in place to be well defended. Uh, so yeah, that wonderful job to everybody who made Hot Millions and and were possibly the first ones to ever make fun of and poke a hole in the blinky box. Exactly, exactly. It just, it, it's so funny when um, he discovers, so the blinky light, uh, you know, I reflect to be the, the firewall, the intrusion prevention system that's actually activated by a key. <laughs> So the, the CEO or the head of this particular organization walks in every morning, sticks a key in to turn it off. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And uh, it finds out, and one of the other things I thought was funny here, Chris, is um, it's the cleaning staff. They have access to everywhere, right? You've got this protected room that has a box specifically fitted, you know, so that people can't tamper. And it just so happens that uh, one of the cleaning ladies says, well, if you if you hit right here, the lid of this particular device pops up and I can put my teapot and warm it. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so it's the, you know, again, reflectively and no disrespect to anybody, it's the less technical person in, in that particular facility that finds the vulnerability 
he becomes aware of it. He can bypass now this control and start, you know, creating fake accounts and and, and start, uh, you know, to embezzle money through uh, shell corporations and things in Italy and France and Spain, all over the world, uh, all over Europe. He was traveling, uh, and, and it's even that old. Um, that he had to physically go to these locations to pick up the checks that he was embezzling. So he was traveling, <laughs> you know, it wasn't even by wire into a, you know, a bank account or anything. He was literally physically going. And uh, I just thought it was a wonderful movie. When I first saw it, it just happened that I saw it on, um, I think it was AMC or, you know, Turner Classic Movie or something like that. And I just happened to pop it on and they uh, were showing him at the start of the movie. He was... It was, oh, get a job in computers. And it was, you know, back when it was uh, literally the, um, you know, the card punch type uh, uh, interfaces for uh, programming computers. And it just showed you him looking at these and he was researching and, and uh, you know, it built up quite a knowledge uh, to be able to walk into an organization, convince them that he was an expert, you know, get a representatively, a, you know, a systems analyst high level job and, uh I just thought it was an absolute gem. So if uh, for any of our listeners, Hot Millions, uh, check it out, is uh, quite a good movie as well. It was Professor McGonagall and Bob Newhart. Yes, Bob Newhart was in there as well. Very young Bob Newhart as well. It was, uh, again, great cast, very well done. Um, and so I think that's... Uh, I think for uh, us today, Chris, uh, we'll, we'll draw this particular podcast to a conclusion. Thank you so much. Again, it's always great to talk to you uh, and get your thoughts in this space and with everything uh, pen testing and security. So uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, likewise, Sean. Thanks so much. I, I, I've had a blast being on. And uh, and thank you and, and CIS for all you guys do for the, the community. It's, it's wonderful, all the, the products and standards you, you put out. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Well, that'll do it for today. Um, please make sure to uh, subscribe uh, to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And make sure to follow us on social media. And with that, I'm Sean Atkinson. Thank you so much.